Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. At Royal Oak's oldest house, you never know who you might run into. Yes, I did. I told you about John down here. I mean, I feel it could like I heard be you, but I don't know if I was listening for it. No, no. When he said that, I'm like, I'm not gonna say it just in case. Orson Starr and his family were among Royal Oak's founders, and some may have never left. This is the Spooky Jay. I'm Zach Clark. It is that time of year again. There is a crispness in the air, the leaves are turning, and it's October. It is the Halloween season. And for the second year in a row, we'll be dropping a number of Michigan-themed spooky episodes. For our first adventure, my colleague Annie Scaramazzino and I were off in Oakland County. The Orson Starr story, as told to us at least by Alex Kerrigan, she's the chair of the Royal Oak Historical Commission, it's pretty cool. I mean... I don't often think of Royal Oak as being historic and cowbells. First of all, we're back, which I'm really excited about. Yes. Spooky Jay, round two. And this was our first journey out. And we were able to actually go to the Orson Star House and get a tour, which was very cool. And a lot of what we learned when we were there is how old Royal Oak actually is. I mean, this house itself was built in 1845. And the Star family were among some of the earliest settlers of Royal Oak. Mr. Orson Starr and Mrs. Rhoda Starr came to Royal Oak in early 1831 from upstate New York, where his father had taught him how to manufacture cowbells. This was a family business. There was no invention of barbed wire, so animals would be free to roam, so you had to locate your animals. So these were quite popular. He did really well. So he manufactured these and lived here for about 10 years in a one-bedroom cabin on the property. And then in 1845, he decided to make this house and built it by hand. Five generations of stars lived in this house. So you see a house that has a lot of history. This family is very influential in the community. 13 Mile was called Star Road. We have Star Presbyterian Church, Star Park. They really made a mark in the city. Now this is the oldest standing house. Once Royal Oak became more populated and they didn't need cowbells and everything was getting fenced in, him and his son switched to manufacturing bricks and tiles. So they adapted and they were very smart businessmen. And a lot of the buildings we believe in Royal Oak are made with the bricks. Yeah, it was a really cool perspective on what we now view as sort of this bustling downtown area where people like to go to have drinks and, and kind of go to the club and do things like that and go shopping. Royal Oak used to be farmland. It was a very different place. You know, like other places we've been, there's been a fair amount of tragedy for the Star family in that house. Well, the family lived there for generations and generations, and I found some paperwork online that I was looking at of all the different ways that the house changed hands from different families over the years and the star family members and their descendants. 
And so a lot of people lived in that place for a really long time. And so a lot of people passed through those doors. And as Alex was explaining to us, back then, unfortunately, a lot of people died at home. They had 10 children in all, and five made it to adulthood. Three died in one week. So we had a lot of loss. This is the parlor. This room is gorgeous. Thank you. So this is where the stars would have held their events and hosted parties or funerals. There was a note. I don't have any evidence besides that the descendant said that that at a small period of time, this was a funeral home. For one of the descendants, their husband was um, running a funeral business. So this door right here is larger than a regular door. It's wider. They call it a coffin door. So this is our office. This was a bedroom. I've been in here a few times filing. And I read in here recently that one of the descendants' husbands died in that room, so that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Alex was telling us that they do believe very strongly that during a period of somewhere between like 1910 and 1950, they think that that place was also used as a funeral parlor. And had the doors that were wider, right, that would indicate that they would be used to take the casket through the front door in that same spot that she was talking about. Right, exactly. And Orson Starr actually was hoping that that place was actually going to be used for the community, by the community, for different meetings, different places for people to congregate. So in a lot of ways, that is actually a lot of what he intended the house for, was a place for people to be able to gather and use it for different purposes. You know, the funerals that they held there, there was a a lot of death that happened around in those walls, and there's that side of it too. If anybody has paid attention to pop culture over the last, I don't know if it's been the last decade or so, but the interest in paranormal activities and the monitoring of those things has really grown. And that brings us to Flyer Paranormal. We met these guys at the Star House, including John Yost. And, you know, these dudes are real ghost hunters. We come in, we take readings. We both kind of pick up on energy as far as what the house has to offer and what spirits may be here. When we came in, There was definitely a lot of energy. You could feel it. Definitely the chills in and out. We walk around with our devices. We take readings with K2s. We try to find the house's natural K2 or electromagnetic fields. So that way when we are investigating and say we're standing here in the middle of the room and one of our devices happens to pop off, we know it's not like the electrical panel in the corner of the room. And then, you know, we also do recordings and whatnot, try to pick up on voices, EVPs, disembodied voices and things of that nature. When the pandemic hit, they actually had to stop doing the tours. And then when they restarted them, Flyer Paranormal came in and started hosting the tours as sort of a third party. So they work with the commission and they work together to tell the story of this house in full, both the paranormal side and then the historical side. It wasn't just John we met that day. We met David Boyer as well. And I got to say, Annie, as calm as these guys sound, there was an intensity to both of them that you could really feel. Oh, absolutely. They take what they do very seriously. Can I ask about your guys' necklaces? I was going to ask. Well, I think this is obsidian. Mine's black obsidian. Something that we use on our investigations just in case we go into an unknown property or someone's residential home and not knowing if it's evil or not or something really dark that we can't protect ourselves and we wear these. You know, just one of those things that we feel grounded on. And it's a little extra. A little, a little extra, extra protection. <laughs> I only wear mine. I, I have a strong sense of faith, so I wear mine during haunted investigations when we come to places like this. I will add, though, too, that when we begin our investigations, we always say like an opening invocation, a, a prayer. 
that we're able to communicate with the best words to make contact with the spirits and that we only want to make contact with the spirits with the highest and best vibrations for the better purposes and that we try to ward off those I don't want to say evil, negative. the negative spirits, absolutely. They are showing people around this old historic site in Metro Detroit and teaching them about the history of the house and then also the people that have lived there. And they're telling the stories of real people that lived in that house over generations. So, you know, they treat it as seriously as I think that they should. I think one of the things that makes this paranormal tour in specific so interesting is that it is grounded in history. These are all real people that we're talking about. It's not just names drawn from a hat. And John and David, they're acutely aware of that. The paranormal, I hate to say it, you know, it does come second sometimes. However, when we have a really good investigation or a really good night, it's all about what their experience was. We had uh, audible voices come out of nowhere through a wall in the basement. This woman's voice came through the wall twice. They talked about that for the next however many hours we were here. And I wonder, too, if because this house is more than just one thing, it's a collection of a lot of other things that came from other houses. It's like a little traffic jam almost. Exactly. And spirits can be attached to certain items. During investigations, we try to hammer out questions geared towards the star family we want to know who's here from the star family but we get various names we try to figure out if they happen to just pass through the house while they were living it's just odd even old you know? neighbors you know people that used to stop by friends of family members you never know they've done the research and they've tried to really discern and figure out who they're talking to, who they're communicating with. So I appreciate their research and I appreciate their effort because it's a lot like what we've tried to do with this podcast, Zach, which is we've picked stories intentionally from around Michigan, Metro Detroit, Detroit, that are based in reality, based in fact, not just this building is haunted because people say it is and people have thought it was kind of creepy. We've been trying to find stories that have historical context that ground them in a certain way so that we can try to tell the story of the place as a whole. And I think that's a lot what the Flyer paranormal investigators are doing, too. Building on what we were just talking about, one of the things that we both appreciate about David and John is how they work to not only disprove themselves, but also how they do the legwork to figure out who they might be encountering. It would be easy to say, I heard the name John. It has to be John Starr because John Starr is the oldest child. But what we learned about that house, Annie, also is that the Starr family's furniture is very limited. Most of the furniture in that house belongs to other families that lived around the same time. So this John could have come from anywhere. It might not be John Starr, and they work really hard at that. That was the eldest son of Orson. Oh, okay. So I was just basically asking who of the Orson Starr family is here. We've gotten different names. I would say we've gotten all of their names at least once. But John, I'm telling you, right in this spot, is for some reason he always hits on the devices. We really have to buckle down and try to see if it is John Starr. We were going through the trunk in there, and there was a military guy by the name of John Norman. His story is pretty crazy. He was in the military. That evening, we had uh, voices come through multiple times on the necrophonics and also the spirit box, referencing guns, army, military, things of that nature. As far as the John Starr, 
we got to get more into that. Like any other historical site, there's elements of it that are going to be true to the original house and what was there before and things that got passed down from the families that lived there and whatnot. But then there's also places like the Historical Commission. They're going to bring in items, furniture, different things like that, decor that is true to the time period that they're trying to preserve. The house is a museum. Right, exactly. And I mean, it's a good size house, so they have to furnish it naturally. And they want to do that with things that are actually true to the time period that they're displaying, essentially. There's no telling what's attached to these items. And as they were telling us from Flyer Paranormal, really, they believe that any item can hold some sort of spiritual... They said they think everything is haunted. Right. They think everything or anything can be haunted. So if that is true and there's all this different furniture and items and decor and stuff that's come from everywhere, really, there's no telling how many spirits might be floating around that house. We've done... This is our fifth spooky episode. It's our fourth time being on site. We've been hoping for something to happen in our travels. I don't know what I was hoping to have happen, but I've been hoping that something would happen. Was this the time? We mentioned the name John. When we were with John and David, we were in the basement, and they have what's called the spirit box. And I don't know, Annie, I played that clip back a couple times. We can let the people decide for themselves, but I heard it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, every time we do these and we kind of test the waters, as it were, at different locations, we did it at Eloise, even at the Whitney. At the Whitney, we did the shave and haircut knock, waiting to see if we could hear a knock back. I was half hoping for it to happen, kind of half not. I would have passed out. <laughs> but I mean, we come to these places, we want to have the full experience. And I think what was really cool about this particular experience is that we haven't actually done a paranormal investigation practice of some sort. We've done tours, but this is the first time we've gone along with paranormal investigators and checked out their equipment and learned about how that all works and saw it in action and did some testing and whatnot. And, you know, this is obviously a podcast. This is audio. And a lot of what the paranormal investigators do also uses audio in different ways. So do you want to run a spirit box, you guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, it's John and Dave with New Friends here. Is there anybody that would like to make contact with us? Can you tell us your name? Did you hear John? Yes, I did. I told you about John down here. I mean, I feel it could like be I you. Too, but I don't know if I was listening for it. No, no. When he said that, I'm like, I'm not gonna say it because just in case. John, are you with us right now? I swore between frequencies that I heard the, a voice say John, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> First of all, because I didn't want to influence anything. I didn't want to stop the audio where we were, or, like disrupt anything. Um, but then I just also didn't know if that's what I had heard at all. And maybe I was just hearing things. But then they said, did you just hear the name John? And then everybody kind of said, yeah, yes. I heard it too. And that's when I kind of felt a little bit validated. I was recording on video, getting things for social media. You were recording audio for the podcast. And I went back later to that video and watched it in full just to see if I could pick out, just to see it again, if my ear would pick out that moment without really knowing where it was coming. And I swear I heard it again. So, I mean, take a listen and see see what you hear. But we felt like we had some sort of experience this time. Spirits tend to, if you believe in this, they tend to stay in the areas that were really meaningful for them. And this house was extraordinarily meaningful for the Starr family, but for Royal Oak as a whole, really. And generations and generations of these family members lived here. And even if they didn't live there, they visited a ton. I mean, think about your grandparents' house on holidays and things like that. 
I guess just the longer that families reside in a certain place or the more meaningful a certain area is for them, the more likely it is that they might revisit that after life is over. So that spiritual heaviness in a home like that, I mean, I don't really I can't really account for that uh, on a personal level, but that could be what we're feeling when we're walking through places like that. And I feel like that was pretty present at the Orson Star House. It's because we didn't have the necklaces. We did not have the necklaces. And I don't know if we were necessarily prepared for our experience. Today's big thanks go out to Alex Kerrigan, John Yost, David Boyer, and of course, Annie Scaramazzino. Check out WWJNewsRadio.com for the top local news stories on demand 24-7. Do you want that Daily J delivered right to you? All you have to do is text WWJ to 20357 and you'll get it instantly. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Zach Clark, and this is The Spooky J. Thanks for listening. It's Halloween. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.